0: Hello again, Arnie, Marjorie, and Jacob. I want to play a game. You've reviewed all the films in the Saw series, but your tests continue with a new chapter.
1: We need to
2: talk, we need to think.
0: See what I see, hear what I hear, but be warned, this challenge is not without risk and will be filled with harsh language and detailed spoilers. Live or die, make your choice.
1: Today, we are discussing Spiral from the Book of Saw, starring Chris Rock, Max Minghella, Marisol Nichols, and Samuel a motherfucking Jackson, directed by Darren Lynn Bowsman. This is the now playing co host who's always up for some new Jack City shit, Arnie. This is Marjorie.
2: And this is the co host who smells like jerk sauce and baby wipes, Jacob.
1: <laughs> so we're back at Saw. It's only been four years since the Carrie Elways one. Mm, since the Carrie Elways one. <laughs>
2: Remember where he was Jigsaw? Is that what the last one was? I remember they pulled some BS with a flashback, making us think it was real time, and it was years before. I can't even keep the series straight. Tobin Bell, like, he's the main bad guy. John Kramer, dresses up as a pig, sometimes has a puppet. Yes. And tortures people. <laughs> that, like, I could probably summarize that first it pretty well.
3: Everything else, ah, uh, people get tortured. This has the most convoluted timeline of any movie series, because it hops back and forth, and I... Don't know what anything is happening with the last few because it's just all over the map. I feel like they made a mistake by killing off Jigsaw.
2: I don't think they knew what was happening with that last one. It felt, again, the whole thing was based on that flashback trick and it felt purposeless. Like they they didn't
1: know what to do with this series and I guess a spinoff? Is that what this is? They had talked about doing Saw 9 and they were... Looking at bringing back the Spearig brothers who did the last one. I mean, the last one made a lot of money. It made $100 million worldwide and only cost $10 million to make. So I guess you look at that and say, okay, they're profitable. But this all came from the mind of Chris Rock.
2: Yeah, I, I read this. Like, he wanted to get involved in horror. Did he see the success of Jordan Peele and go, oh, I, I got to get my fingers in that?
1: I just have to think that's exactly what it is, is Chris Rock is a huge personality. We've reviewed him in New Jack City, I think, Lethal Weapon 4. How could I forget? Oh, there you go. Award winning, <laughs> Raspberry Award winning, perhaps, turn in Lethal Weapon 4. <laughs> but he was at a wedding in Brazil with the vice chairman of Lionsgate, and he said, hey, I think I should start doing some horror. I would like to do a Saw film that's in the universe, but parallel. It's not going to be John Kramer. John Kramer has been dead for several movies. We're just going to do a copycat killer that tries to revitalize the series.
3: I would think that if that was his intent, that perhaps he would have found something really cool and interesting to do instead of try to shoehorn in this movie, into the timeline? Because that's all you're doing with the Saw movies at this point, is you're faking timelines.
2: Yeah, with this one having that subtitle, The Book of Saw, like, what, what does that mean? They, to me, That that's saying they want to deepen this lore, they want to expand it. That Saw, whatever those previous eight films were, there was some kind of Bible, something like that. And, and this was going to expand on that. And you really show us the how far reaching John Kramer's mission was. I remember we were supposed to believe that in the final chapter, which was two movies ago. So I, I thought we were going to, yeah, it was going to be a, maybe a spinoff, a, a different timeline after all that, who knows how connected, but I, I thought it was going to mythologize what we'd seen before a lot more be, being called the book of Saw.
1: What they talked about with that is saying This is not Saw 9. They could still make Saw 9. You could still continue the John Kramer Jigsaw Legacy films with Mandalore, Mandalore, Costa's Mandalore. But I'm doing the hip-hop remix
2: from the end credits of this one.
1: (laughs) But this is its own story here with a new serial killer and... Why not just make another torture porn film? Why make it a Saw film? Brand recognition, right? I mean, I think that's got to be... The whole reason is you can just get more people to come see a Saw film than you could come see, hey, Chris Rock is doing torture porn. But I think I might want to
3: see that, though. I may have
2: been more wanting to see this film if it was just a Chris Rock and Samuel Jackson horror film that I knew nothing about. Knowing that it's part of Saw, I was always kind of like, eh, it's got a little bit more
1: cred because of the people involved, but eh, it's still Saw. <laughs> well, one of the people involved, director Darren Lynn Bowsman, he was lured back by this premise. He directed Saw 2 and 3 and 4, which were probably the most tightly coupled there where it dealt with all the... That's the Shawnee Smith stuff, right? Yeah. Okay,
2: yeah, falling in needles. I Again, remember bits and pieces.
1: And then he went off and did some other stuff. I know a lot of people are just really wanting us to review his repo, The Genetic Opera.
2: I remember liking that a lot when I saw it years ago
1: he came back he thought this was an interesting enough idea that he returned to the series for the first time since four to direct this one so bringing a little saw pedigree bringing chris rock as a producer and the writer from a handful of films including good luck chuck and piranha 3d josh Stolberg. good luck chuck wow That's something I didn't really ever want to hear again. And he also has directed such gems as The Hungover Games.
2: Oh, I get it. Hangover, (laughs) but it's also The Hunger Games. I'm sure it's it's hilarious. (laughs) Listeners, let us know. I'll, I'll go off your recommends for that one.
1: I was honestly excited for this, though. I did go in a little bit spoiled. I've had a very busy week, very busy month, and I'm like... Do I have to re-watch the last couple Saw films to understand this one? Are there going to be ties? Is Carrie Elway going to be showing up? He's still alive in this... I thought he
2: died a long time ago in this series.
1: <laughs> yeah, but he came back. I remember he came back after the
2: first film. That was a surprise, but oh, he's still going, I guess.
1: He was the one who said, game over, and closed the door, and limped away on his wooden foot. Okay. So I'm like, do I need to re-watch... Because... I'll rewatch some of the early Saw films for fun around Halloween, but Saw 3D slash the final chapter and Jigsaw. So I did look up and I found out this has no ties to the previous installments. I did not need to rewatch them. That actually took my hopes up so many levels. I'm like, I really did enjoy those early Saw films. This could be a fresh start. And Chris Rock, I like his persona. I think he is a decent actor at times, and if this was a passion project for him, I was really, really excited to go see Spiral. Now, I wouldn't say really, really excited, but I will say I was more
2: optimistic versus other Saw films or another potential Saw film because, yes, it was Chris Rock. He has credibility. Samuel L. Jackson, he'll be in anything, but it's always fun to see him. It felt like, and then the few things I did hear out there is that, oh, we're trying to do something different. I'm like, okay, I need something different out of these Saw films. That, that That's a good instinct. And so I don't think I would have seen this outside of now playing, but I was more optimistic Optimistic going into it.
3: I probably would have seen it anyway because liking Saw, but I went into this not knowing anything about it other than Chris Rock was doing it. Been internet spotty because I've been busy. So this was a Complete surprise, and really all I knew about it was Chris Rock was in it.
1: And Jacob, was this your first time back to theaters since pre-pandemic? I know this is the first time we have had to go to theaters for an outplaying review. We could go for Mortal Kombat or for Wonder Woman, but I think this is the first time we haven't had a choice since, like, Sonic the Hedgehog.
2: Yeah, for New X-Men, I went to that drive-in, but this is the first time. I I think since Bad Boys, for me, I wasn't on Sonic. I think Bad Boys or maybe Harley Quinn was the last one we did. That was a theatrical release. But yeah, this was my return to theaters, and I don't think I'm going to be able to blame, though, the pandemic on the lack of people. I counted how many people were there, like did the math with social distance seats, and yeah, they still wouldn't have filled up that
1: place. It is expected to open at number one for the weekend with... I don't know what box office numbers mean, though, right now. <laughs> About $9 million opening weekend on a $20 million budget. But again, this was made pre-pandemic. It was expected to open last year in the fall, like most Saw films, got pushed around a couple of times. We would be discussing John Wick 4 this weekend had there not been a pandemic. But this was, Marjorie, your first time back in theaters too, right?
3: Yes, this is the first movie I have seen since the pandemic. The last movie I saw in theaters was The Hunt. Other than that private rental you and I did just so we could watch a movie, (laughs) which was kind of fun to rent out an entire theater. It's like 99 bucks, and it's kind of fun. You can pick from select movies. You can't play anything, but that was kind of nice and kind of relaxing because you didn't have to deal with other people around you in the theater. So technically, it's my first public showing.
1: Now, because of lack of options, I think, Spiral was released in IMAX. I noticed that. I went to go buy
2: the ticket. I'm like, why is it like almost $30 for a ticket? I'm like, oh, it's IMAX. No, I'm not going to see a Saw movie in IMAX.
1: (laughs) It wasn't filmed at IMAX. It wasn't meant for IMAX. There's just nothing else to release. You got to put something on that giant screen. So I take it none of us saw it in IMAX then. So we didn't see it in IMAX,
2: but we did see
1: it. Arnie, tell us what we watched. Give us the plot of Spiral. Chris Rock plays police detective Zeke Banks, a good cop in a crooked department. Over a decade earlier, Zeke discovered his partner Pete killed a witness to protect the crooked cops. Zeke turned Pete in, and ever since, Zeke has been ostracized by his fellow detectives. One detective, Fitch, even ignored Zeke's call for backup, resulting in Zeke being shot multiple times. Zeke gets the case when an apparent jigsaw copycat murder happens in the subway, and the victim is a police detective. Chief Angie Garza, played by Marisol Nichols, assigns Zeke a partner on the case, rookie William Schenk, played by Max Minghella. Zeke's father, Marcus Banks, played by Samuel L. Motherfucking Jackson, wants to have dinner with his son and maybe help out on the case, but then Marcus disappears. The jigsaw copycat seems to only kill cops, including several crooked cops, as well as Shank. Zeke is always two steps behind. But finally, the copycat reveals himself to Zeke, and it's Shank. Shank was the son of the man Pete killed over a decade ago. Shank was inspired by Zeke standing up against the bad cops, and he wants to partner with Zeke, where Zeke will find dirty officers, and Shank will torture and kill them. And Shank has Marcus hostage. Marcus is being slowly bled to death. And Shank has called the police... He then gives Zeke a gun with a single bullet. The bullet can free Marcus from the bleeding machine, or be used to kill Shank. Zeke chooses to save his father's life, but then physically attacks Shank. The cops bust in, and the bleeding machine puppets Marcus like a marionette, having him raise his arm, and a tube pops out that looks like a shotgun. The cops think they're about to be shot, so they kill Marcus. Zeke tries to save his dad, and when he does, Shank escapes in an elevator. Zeke is on his knees so the cops don't shoot him, but he looks awfully distraught as credits roll.
3: Having you read out those names out loud really confirms the hilarity of the names they picked for every single character in this movie.
1: Sometimes his names, especially last names, were hard to find. Pete. <laughs> Just... Pete. Yeah, I, I
2: went with whatever names they said. Zeke, Shank. Like sometimes it's a first name, sometimes it's a nickname,
1: sometimes it's a last name. But there were Banks and Shank. <laughs> that does sound like a cop show, but not a good one. Right. My question is,
2: what is the timeline? Like, I remember when we watched what was the final chapter and they're using like flip phones. And I'm like, I got an iPhone. Why are they using flip phones in this movie? Oh yeah, because they're sticking to that original timeline, which is like, I don't know, 2002 or something. And, you know, we'll find out something happened with Zeke 12 years ago. Chris Rock's character, like, was he a rookie when the, the Jigsaw stuff was
1: going on? I just don't even know like what the timeline is here. I am taking this to mean after the Jigsaw Killers, is when the police got crooked. After Jigsaw John Kramer, this Article 8 they keep talking about, did they pass that because of Jigsaw to stop him? I believe so. Because remember, the like you said with the flip phones, the Saw timeline ended in the early 2000s. We see that the Crooked Cops came up, they say, 12 years ago. And that would have been, this movie was supposed to come out in 2020. So that puts us in about 2008. So several years after all of the Jigsaw killings. And this Article 8 was passed before that. So I think as a result of John Kramer... The cops in this nameless city were empowered to be able to stop criminals more ruthlessly. Hey, is this a commentary on stop and frisk? Maybe. Oh, oh
2: yeah, no, no. You could instead of the book of Saw, I call this, you know, instead of defunding the police, I call this spiral Delim the Police. Like, <laughs> I, I know what this film is going after.
1: It's very obvious. So I think that Chris Rock was joining the force right around the time of the end of the Jigsaw stuff. And it was in an original draft. I came in like, please, please, please let Sam Jackson be Danny Glover's brother. Let Chris Rock be Danny Glover's son. I thought that's what they were going to do. Something <laughs> like,
2: yes, I thought they were going to do something like that.
1: They were. In the early scripts, it was going to be done. Like, I was trying to remember, what was was Danny Glover's name? Was he a Banks, too? Like, is is it all related? But the two writers said that that just didn't seem credible to them. Their words were, didn't pass the smell test. So, sadly, no Danny Glover connections here. I don't know if I'm thankful for that or disappointed. But, yeah, I think that's where the timeline is. I think this movie is happening now-ish.
2: When was this supposed to come out last year? Because we open up on the 4th of July. Was this a summer
1: film originally? It was supposed to be October 2020. Okay, Halloween film. Remember the tagline, if it's Halloween, it's got to be Saw. All right. But then before COVID, they actually moved it up to May of 2020. So maybe summer makes a little bit more sense. And then it was now May 2021. So yeah, starting off with fireworks, having this 4th of July celebration. So are we supposed to think that this is going to start off with a bang? I'm looking for symbolism in the shots. But this movie also starts at a carnival like us did. Good call out. We begin with this cop who looks like a joke. He looks like a
2: barbershark quartet singer. Like... (laughs) (laughs) Is he undercover? Is that just his casual clothes that he wears on a normal night out? He has a straw hat like he's running for
1: president in 1910. (laughs) Yeah, and I agree. Yeah, and this guy goes chasing after a purse snatcher who may have pickpocketed him as well. I'm not really sure on that. The guy bumps into this cop, Boswick, but... He snatches a purse and Boswick gives chase. None of these cops seem very good in this movie. So that Boswick decides, I'm going to hop down in the sewer to track this guy down, seems above and beyond. Yeah, I know.
2: They're, they're so, like, lazy. We're just going to lie on the stand to convict people. We don't want to do real work. But, yeah, I'm going to climb into a sewer to pursue a pickpocket who took, like, $3 from a lady. I, I don't even know if I, a good cop would do that.
1: I don't think so, no. But we have to have a big opening kill. It's the way to grip us, especially since it's going to be quite a while before we have a second kill. And so this guy is attacked. Here's a returning iconography, the guy in the pig mask. The next thing we know, Boswick is standing on a ladder on some subway tracks with his tongue in a vice. The tape plays, new Jigsaw voice. I mean, they are seriously like, we are not... The old Saw film, this is not in any way Jigsaw. We have a new voice. It almost sounds female to me. Yes! I really was on the Angie is the killer track, or the mastermind at least. My theory going in,
2: it was based off the one trailer I saw. I'm like, "Oh, it's it's Samuel Jackson. He's devising all this." Like, I don't care trailer that you're showing me he locked up in one of these devices. John Kramer faked his death for 90 minutes in the first film. Like, th- it's all fake. I know it's you. So like, uh, yeah, I had a going theory the whole time that it- it's Samuel Jackson and he's doing everything he can to cover his voice up.
3: See, I kind of picked up who it was early on because I know who the actor was playing Shank. He's from the Handmaid's Tale. He's Nick. And I figured that he wouldn't be in the show unless he was going to be. Do you have a key part?
2: Well, yeah, there's definitely a a point this film's going to give away who the killer is. We'll get there. Yeah, but with this first kill, again, we're in a soft film. Like, that tongue vice, that's uncomfortable looking. Like, it's doing the things a soft film should do. It's making me not want to be in any of these kind of torture devices because they always think up of the worst things, going for eyeballs, jumping in pits of needles, and, and now having to rip your own tongue out.
1: Uh, Just the, the pain of ripping your own tongue out, and then the thought of surviving the rest of your life without a tongue, unable to speak. I mean, that's what the tape says, is you have a lying tongue, so now lose the tongue or die. And then the goal is he's on a ladder. He can kick the ladder off, and his body weight will separate his tongue from his body, and he'll fall. And then he can get out of the way of the oncoming subway train, but... Honestly, aren't you going to be in so much pain from your tongue being ripped off that you might be out of your senses and unable (laughs) to get out of the way of the train?
2: Yeah, well, that's the thing. Usually with a jigsaw trap, the whole thing is to trick you to try to get away. You got to mutilate yourself to get away. That's going to be painful. But the death you're presented is going to be just as painful. This guy dies pretty quickly. Not a bad choice B here. Just get killed by a train super quick. No pain. His body parts go everywhere, but it's a quick death.
1: Well, if you think about Shawnee Smith in that first one, that helmet... I, would... I don't... I barely remember that, Hardy. <laughs> she had that helmet that would have pried her jaw apart. She would have died pretty instantly. It's the ticking clock leading up to her death that had her freaking out not all of the deaths were slow but yeah this one I gotta say I like it I mean the guy at the very last second and I think it would have to be the last second you're not going to just rip out your tongue without hoping there's another way out but when he sees the train coming down the tracks he rips his tongue out but it is too late and this is my favorite death of the whole movie he splats like a bug on the windshield we see it pov from the inside of the train and this guy just pops
2: yeah again if you're a fan of saw like this is a good opening kill good trap good kill
3: i kind of felt this one while it was kind of gory I felt it wasn't up to the usual saw, like... They kind of make you kind of
1: squeamish at times, and while this one wasn't super squeamish.
2: Oh, okay. I was squeamish at the thought of having to rip my tongue out.
1: The thought of it was squeamish to me, and later on... few of the others, the thought of it is, but I'll agree with Marjorie that the on-screen gore is lessened. We don't see a close-up of the tongue tendons tearing. This is probably our bloodiest death, and it does look like a red water balloon just exploded on the front of the subway car.
2: And I will say this about the scene again: I, I get caught up and in, in just imagine myself in that moment. But yeah, whenever they'd show that tongue, it never looks like that tongue is actually connected to the actor. It just feels like a helmet he's wearing with a prosthetic tongue stuck in it. It, it looks kind of weird. So I never really do get buy into what they're trying to sell me that, that it's actually his tongue in there because it just looks. A little bit off to me. So, yeah, I could see not totally getting into it because of just the way it's presented on screen. Like, for Halloween, they could sell that helmet with a fake tongue sitting in there. You could go as victim number one from Spiral.
1: And then we get introduced to the hero of the film, Chris Rock, as Zeke Banks. They try to fake us out, don't they, at the beginning? Like, he's with a whole bunch of gangsters. They're about to do a robbery, taking cash and cocaine from some people. And my favorite Chris Rock moment of the movie is here in the beginning. It feels like B-material from a stand-up routine. I mean, who's thinking about Forrest
2: Gump these days? Is that telling us when this is taking place? This is actually taking place in 90, <laughs> what, five ninety four? whenever that film came out? Like, who is thinking about Forrest Gump? And I agree, it feels like this is a Chris Rock routine, but what's with his performance? Like, it feels like someone has always farted in the room and he's just kind of like <laughs> scrunching up his face i get it he's supposed to be this bitter cop going through divorce your wife's riding all kinds of dick at pilates classes the way he plays it though it feels almost comical at times it's so over the top and look i just watched fargo season four where he was like the 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 leading guy in it and he was great playing a dramatic role he's trying to play this hard-boiled cop but it feels like bad hard-boiled eggs that have spoiled have gone off and he's reacting to it
3: Yeah, I don't think this was a good role for him necessarily. Nothing felt genuine and it felt like he was just yelling for yelling's sake a lot of time. And Arnie's right. I do feel like it was just stuff cut out of his comedy routine, like Tom Hanks is a straight up pimp, that kind of stuff. I don't think he emoted well. I think you're absolutely right on that. I think that most of the time he looked like he got way too high (laughs) and that was his face. Like if somebody just says something really out there when you're super high, I feel like that was Chris Rock's face during the entire movie when he was thinking or upset. And just nothing felt good coming out of him. Like I would say drama is not his thing, but you say he's good on Fargo season four. So maybe, I don't know what was wrong with him in this movie.
1: I'm wondering why they tried to have this quote-unquote fake-out opening. It's sort of reminded me of the start of Beverly Hills Cop when you're introduced to Axel Foley doing an illegal deal for cigarettes and you think he's a criminal. But you see any trailer for Spiral, a single one, you know this guy's a cop. So I'm like, this is a sting operation or a SWAT raid or something. We're going to find out he's a rogue cop who doesn't talk to his chief and just goes undercover. He's a homicide detective, but he's busting some narcotics guys because they were involved in homicides and he was going to get evidence so I'm thinking this guy is going to be an Eddie Murphy-ish kind of cop we never get that in fact this never pays off at all does it that he goes undercover without reason no and
2: you know I did get a chuckle when those gates open and all those cops are waiting for them to escape and one of them's like Zeke oh you're involved with this oh you're under okay I thought that was kind of funny but I think there was a subplot something cut out where the cops were going after Zeke thinking he was the jigsaw killer like we'll see texts get sent to Angie that come from Zeke like he's here they introduce him as going undercover and not telling anyone people don't know what this guy's up to I thought that was going to be a whole thing where they're all going to be chasing him
1: by the end of it and no that never really happens I agree it feels like at the end that's what it was going for and it doesn't you know I haven't read anything that filming for this was halted due to the pandemic but if you look at every movie we've reviewed the past few weeks
2: yeah we always say this
1: has been rewritten this
2: has been cut out they, they've done things to change this every film feels that way
1: yeah Mortal Kombat they didn't even bother to film it <laughs> <laughs> I gotta wonder if, again, some stuff here never got made, never, you know, they didn't have time to do pickups. Chris Rock's a busy person. And if some of this wasn't fleshed out or just poor editing or screenwriting, but it does feel like that is something they're leading to and never fully go with. But we'll talk about the ending at the end. I think this is an interesting introduction for Chris Rock, but we are seeing a side of Zeke that we won't see again. Yeah, this feels like the most forced way to take that
2: cop, that loner cop, and you're getting a partner because that's the result of this. We're going to meet Captain Angie. I don't know if she's getting daily blowouts out with that hairdo. dude. She, she's very well kept for a captain of a police force.
3: Well, it's nice they did replace it from usually the angry old white man, because (laughs) everything to this point about this movie is something that's been done. I'm glad you pointed out about Beverly Hills Cop, Arnie, because I didn't get that connection. But this scene with Chris Rock and the captain is like straight out of every single cop movie. But it's, there's
2: not enough winks or nods that it's knowingly. I, it's just lazy screenwriting.
3: Right. And that's what I think. I mean, that's the only excuse. I mean, nothing was done with anything to make you think, oh, we know what we're doing. This is okay. You're right. It's just so far, they've just done everything rote and cliche.
1: I think they wrote a line here because Angie Garza, she was berating Zeke, for going undercover, and he's like, well, there's no other cop I can trust on this force. Not a single cop here has my back. But later on, she is going to stand up for Zeke. So I feel like they were trying to make her more sympathetic to Zeke, which is part of the reason why I thought she might be the killer. She could be setting him up and giving him enough rope to hang himself. But she doesn't spend her time just yelling the entire time, like the police chief from 48 Hours or The Last Action Hero. But her introduction is extraordinarily cliche. And let me just ask you, if you have a job and you go to work every day and your co-workers leave dead rats on your keyboard and torture you and let you get shot, don't you think you might want to look at working someplace else?
2: I mean, I I think this is really commenting on the workforce in America, the work environment in America these days. You'll you'll put up. No, I I get what you're saying.
1: Yeah. If it's that bad, transfer to another department. This isn't the only city with crime. I mean, I hate to say be a pussy and run away from your problems, but if you're Police chief isn't backing you up and disciplining those who leave dead animals around and let you get shot. Yeah, it might be time to move on. And we understand he's been doing this for 12 years because he, 12 years ago, back when Chris Rock had a goatee, (laughs) that's how we know he's younger, his partner killed someone. And that seems like a good reason to turn in your partner. You witness him commit murder. So since then, everybody thinks he's a rat. And I mean, Maybe get a job on internal affairs. I don't know if this entire police department has a single internal affairs officer, but...
3: This whole middle part just feels like a bad cop movie until we get some more copycat kills. It feels just just like any other cop movie or cop TV show with somebody who fighting with their boss. The other cops don't like him. It's the older people that you know don't like him.
2: To the point where, yeah, he's going to be given that partner, the rookie partner. Isn't that how it usually goes to It's some mm-hmm. kind of opposite of you, whether if you're black, they're white. If you're male, they're female. It's always something. So yeah, they're going to give him the Ricky cop played by Max Minghella. And you called out, Marjorie. Yeah, he, I know him mostly from... The Handmaid's Tale. I only watched two seasons, but does he turn bad? You you say you, you got bad vibe from him because of that. He was kind of a good guy in that one. He's helping her out. So I, I didn't see him as a bad guy right away.
3: I just figured somebody had to be the killer. I didn't think it was Sam Jackson because that would just be a complete turn and strange. But this guy who's kind of an upcoming actor on a hit show, that's why I'm like, and he just seemed kind of weird and shifty. And the, and the voice, once I heard his voice, it sounded a little bit like, the TV that was in the subway, the voice from the coming from the TV. And so like, oh, he's the bad guy because he's just way too calm, too easy. I knew who the actor was. And then his voice sounded kind of similar. And I actually wrote it in my notes at that time as he's the bad one.
1: See, and I only know this actor as being in the social network as one of the partners with the Winklevi twins who started the Harvard Connection software. And I haven't seen him in anything else. So I didn't really know this actor. I did not remember him from the social network till I looked him up. But come on, rookie cop there. I'm trying to take it one of two ways. Either A, he's going to be the only person who has Zeke's back. Or B, this is a soft film. I don't think anybody's going to have Zeke's back. I figure he is in on it. I really thought Angie was the mastermind. Just from the very beginning, I I thought Angie was the mastermind because it sounded like a female voice, and Shank was her subordinate, the Shawnee Smith to her jigsaw, and that the two of them were working together, and she needed somebody to make sure Zeke didn't catch her, and so that's why she assigned him. I was half right.
3: During this time also, I got major vibes with Donnie Wahlberg being the cop. Cops have always played a
1: large part in the Saw franchise. Yeah. So this feels right to me. But good call that, yeah, I hadn't really put that together. But with the exception of, I think, maybe part eight, there always is usually a law enforcement presence going back again to Danny Glover and the girl from Starship Troopers.
3: Do not forget the great Costas Mandalore.
1: Yeah. Uh, Yeah. We
3: must not forget him. (laughs)
1: With Shank, we are given a little bit more of Chris Rock's routine. This was in the trailer as well. Shank is talking about how he's having marital problems, and he's got a new baby, Charlie. And Chris Rock's like, you said, there ain't no such thing as Pilates. That's just her out getting dick. I thought that was a good line. (laughs) And you could give her 600 Tuesdays, and that won't make up for three Saturdays. I'm like, yeah, I'm not thinking he's wrong.
2: Yeah, the thing is, he's just so bitter, and I get it. That's the character. I'm trying to think, if this is a stand-up routine, no one's laughing because you're just coming off angry. We're probably a little scared. And maybe it's because our review of Seven just came out recently, and we talked about the connection between Seven and Saw, and man, I really got those Seven vibes off of this one. If Morgan Freeman was an asshole, (laughs) like Chris Rock is here, (laughs) like, here's that version of Seven. But yeah, introducing this rookie that we're going to be told has a wife and a newborn baby and a name. Town. They call it the Metro Police. I think that's what they called it in Seven. We're going to be getting boxes. We're going to want to know what's inside of them. So, yeah, I, I was really getting a Seven vibe. But, yes, with an angry Morgan Freeman. instead sort of the nice one that we got, the cultured one that we got.
3: Those boxes, at first I thought they were Tiffany boxes because it's a very similar blue. And if you exchange the twine for satin ribbon, you might have the <laughs> Tiffany box.
1: Another reason to think it might be Angie Garza. <laughs> But Zeke and Shank go to find this body on the subway and think it's a homeless guy. (laughs) I mean, are homeless guys always jumping in front of the subway there? Is this just how it goes? Uh,
2: If someone's going to die in a subway tunnel, it's probably going to be a
1: homeless person, I would guess. Like, if you got
2: money, are you just crawling around in subway tunnels?
3: Well, I would think it would be like set up shop. Oh, there'll be no trains here. I can sleep here.
2: Or it could be one of those explorer YouTubers that like to go into forbidden places.
3: Oh, yeah. The urban explorers. Yeah.
2: (laughs) Look, there are things that I like about the camera work here, like this whole walk down to the subway and like every once in a while they'll walk by a cop and they'll just kind of point. I really get into this like this is awful stuff going on, but they're just having this casual talk and people are kind of nonchalant about it. It, it does give it a kind of a sense of realism. You get desensitized to this stuff. And there's something about that that, that I did find appealing like this. OK, this feels different, maybe more mature than your regular soft. Film.
1: And I did wonder, did Fitbit pay for a... Do people still use Fitbit? (laughs) It's just on your iPhone now. It's it's got steps. I I measure my steps on there now. I think they had like a resurgence when the Fitbit became like a smartwatch for Android users. They did, yeah. They're a thing for people who don't have iPhones. So they know this guy is somebody, but Jigsaw, he knows Zeke is on the case. Again, making me think, Angie, because he's going to send a thumb drive and... Another Chris Rock funny moment, and I agree, Chris Rock is a strange thumb drive. He's putting that in Shank's computer. I'm not going to get the virus. Yeah, no, that was a good call out. Absolutely. And it's the Jigsaw tape. Got a new puppet, and I thought of you, Jacob. I just instantly... (laughs) They (laughs) rebranded Billy the Puppet! You correctly called out that Jigsaw in the first Saw film needed a brand manager because he had a pig (laughs) mask and a... Puppet on a tricycle that did the voices. And what was it all about here? They've consolidated it all down to pigs and a pig in a cop's uniform. You know exactly what they're saying.
2: Yeah, it, it kind of makes sense that it's all pigs now because, yeah, it's police that Jigsaw is going to focus on this time around. I, I don't know. Maybe he'll change it up depending on what industry he's going after in each film. But, yes, it, it makes sense. Make it all pigs because it's about cops. And that thumb drive, it's got that spiral. That's the name of the film. There's a spiral, and that they recognize where that spiral has been painted, and they go there, and they find another box. Again, all these boxes are on brand. They're same. I, I think they've taken some notes. This copycat killer is really trying to brand himself well.
3: But up until the fourth one, he'd been sending two boxes. So he'd get one that would lead to a clue, and then there'd be at that place a box leading to the person. And then they broke that later on.
1: Oh, well, they had to speed it up a little bit.
2: Yeah. Yeah. But here in this box, this is where they find it's Boswick's badge. And that's how they know who was killed in the subway.
3: Along with a really terrible prop of a tongue.
1: <laughs> and Boz was a bad cop. He lied on the stand to convict people. That's why he was killed. He was Zeke's best and only friend?
2: <laughs> That's the weird thing. Like, Zeke is like, uh, I, you know, his whole reputation is having turned into a dirty cop, but he's going to rub shoulders. Yeah, best friend. He's going to go to his wife's house to, you know, console her and, and everything. It, It's, yeah, it's weird.
1: The wife scene really is weird, because we never see her again. I can't think of anything that comes out of that scene that impacts us. No, it's it's just
2: there, so Zeke, I think, could' fight with his wife because she's there for some reason, too. I guess they're both they were couples that were best friends.
1: Oh God. Yes, this goes back to the cut subplot idea that there would be some reason for his wife to be there and talk about how Chris Rock can't ever see the kid to lead people to think Chris Rock is an angry person who could become the Jigsaw Killer. Because every scene of a movie should give you some important bit of information. And this just, yeah, it introduces us to the wife and that goes nowhere. Who never shows up again. (laughs) They should have cut this scene along with everything else that they... I think you're right again, Jacob. I think something wasn't filmed or couldn't get back together. And so we are left with the movie We Are, where this scene just had me scratching my head. Yeah, it makes absolutely no sense.
3: Yeah, and then we're going
2: to meet, you know... Zeke he's having a rough day he's gonna go home and Marcus his father Samuel L Jackson he's just sitting in his house like waiting for him for this doesn't seem like a normal thing so this is again this is why I thought oh see that's because he's the killer he knows about the death he's just found out about it somehow because he's an ex-cop I get but it's just so weird that he's just sitting in the house he just broke in he's waiting for him. we're gonna find out he lives in the same apartment building
1: no he's the landlord he didn't break in he's got the key He's the landlord? Yeah. Zeke says, I have renter's rights. And Marcus says, you start paying rent and then you can have rights. I thought he just knew he was behind on rent or something with the landlord. I
2: didn't take it. Okay. I, I, I see how you came to that conclusion. Makes sense.
1: Yeah, so he's the landlord slash father, but they're distant. They they talk about how Marcus will just nod at him if they see each other, like they're the only two black people in the building is how Sam Jackson puts <laughs> it. And now he's hanging out and they're going to have dinner. They're going to have this bonding moment and... Maybe Marcus knows something about this Jigsaw killer. Maybe Sam Jackson was on set for three days. I can't <laughs> tell. Well, it would have been really
2: helpful because they're like, "Yeah, it's a it's a Jigsaw copycat killer." Like again, has Jigsaw just died? Have they had multiple copycats since his death? Like, well, Carrie always was a copycat. Did they capture him? I li- I do not remember him even being in that last film that we reviewed. Costas Mandalore was a copycat. <laughs> They, but they were all working with John Kramer. Or He was dead. Ah, it's so confusing. They all had ties to John, though. That's my memory.
3: So let's talk about the copycat for a second, because you just mentioned all these copycat killers. Do you know how much work goes into these traps?
2: Oh, yeah, I know. you got to be a, a good engineer, like mechanical engineer. Yeah. That's like a lost trade, I think, or like being able to do gears and all that.
3: Yeah, you need to have medical knowledge to know exactly how far you can push somebody without killing them, because I wouldn't know that. I'd have to research that. The technology
1: side to have things like turn on and it's... This is a real team effort. Right? But if you have 12 years of anger, and you know about Jigsaw because he was a thing when you were a kid, like us with Ted Bundy, he spends all his time copping and- This is Batman-level dedication, though. Like, I saw my
2: father killed. I'm going to learn mechanical engineering, uh, computer programming, medical science, biology. Like, it's a lot of stuff.
3: Not to mention he had to go to the police academy. Yeah,
2: then you got to become a cop afterwards.
3: Because he wanted to be a cop to get in there. I mean, this is like the serious, long revenge game. I and mean, we're talking a 12-year revenge game, right? So... I mean, he had to do all of this when he's... (laughs) So, did he start when he was a little kid? The day after his dad died, he started. I mean, this isn't
1: something you do lightly, and you take a lot of dedication. And we're talking about this like it makes sense in the movie, because we've seen the whole movie. But all of this is dripped out through flashbacks. You get to see, like, you're told that Zeke ratted out a cop. And then later, you see a scene of this cop, Pete, talking to a witness and saying, oh, you saw a cop throw somebody off the roof. Later, we get more flashbacks, and this is all coming from, like, Chris Rock's POV. Like, he's having flashbacks. Like, again, I wondered, I, pretty, I was pretty sure it was Shank, but Chris Rock is having so many flashbacks, I'm wondering if this is going to go early 2000s. You know, we're going to go back to the original era of Saw, where, like, Fight Club, Chris Rock doesn't realize he's the Jigsaw Killer.
2: I know in the trailer I saw, it showed Chris Rock holding up that actual saw from the first one like so yeah because we never know the timeline and they love playing those time games in these films i'm like is he gonna like walk into that room right after like the other people were done with <laughs> it and like how is this all gonna tie together
1: it was really frustrating that we didn't get all the information in a cohesive way and if they think that they're giving us an intriguing tease i mean this is the ninth saw film we've done they're not going
2: to change it up now <laughs> they never give it to us in a cohesive way
1: But all of this flashback stuff, it doesn't feel like they're misdirecting. It feels like they're just teasing information as if we're on the edge of our seat about who Pete is. (laughs) And we don't even know what all of these cops necessarily have done either. We finally get our second kill. And we're, what, past a half an hour into the movie now. It's like, I was really, really wondering when they were going to pick up the pace. But finally, Fitch... We're not quite sure what he's done. We're going to find out later in a flashback. I thought Fitch like
2: would just steal stuff because the scene right before he gets taken, they go into a pawn shop, him and his partner. They're looking for surveillance camera to find who the pickpocket was that Boz chased after. And as they're leaving, he's like, oh, give me that gun. And he like just takes a gun from the pawn
1: shop and then he's going to get his fingers ripped off. I thought he, he stole stuff. That's why you're going to take his hands off. I thought he was going to use that gun to kill somebody and have the gun be untraceable. Yeah, I also
2: thought, yeah, kill someone, set up Zeke, Chris Rock's character, set him up to look like the killer because I thought that was going to be a subplot in this.
3: This is where, at the point in the movie, I realized that they were setting up every single person to be some sort of red herring because they were trying to distract us from what was really going on. Because Fitch's partner, which is the lady, Prouse, they set those up two up to be really shifty i mean
2: oh there's a scene with kraus where yeah she's got these shifty eyes when they're talking about okay here's how we're gonna do the case i'm like uh-huh. uh she's up to something i don't know if that was a subplot or it's just a weird scene they decided to insert
3: because she kept looking at him and the camera kept going back and forth between the two and then they went off kind of on their own to look for it and not tell zeke and then we never
1: see her again i think
2: Yeah, there's one scene later where you find out about Benny the pickpocket and she's going to tell Zeke about it later on.
1: Yeah, Benny rides the drug dealing pickpocket. They're going to use him to cover up another death. No, but when Zeke and Shank go to see the drug dealer and are like, I need an iPad. I got an iPad. It's got Uber Eats on it. Can I get some meth? I'm like, did you just want to do a New Jack City callback? He's actually going to say I'm always down for some New Jack City shit. I'm like, in joke? Yeah. It has to be, but what? But I guess he does give the information of where they can find Benny, and that's where they find the body.
3: But really, the only point to find out where Benny was, and not like any of these other couriers, which are not treating the same way, was just to lure Fitch into
1: the trap. But Fitch, this is the Chinese finger trap from hell, right? (laughs) (laughs) How did those stay on his fingers? I mean.
2: I think they had like barbs that dug their
1: way in, but they weren't bleeding. So I don't know. They're just really tight, I guess. Okay. I thought it was a Chinese finger trap. I really did. That's all I could think of. I mean, how does a Chinese finger trap stay on?
2: (laughs) Yeah, that's what it looks like.
1: But I think I could pull my way out of one of those if I had to avoid electrocution. You think? I don't know. The vacuum, I've tried to pull off Chinese finger traps before to think I could out-muscle it. And I haven't tried in the last 10 years or so, but last time I tried, I I lost to the finger trap.
3: So you would be electrocuted is what I'm hearing.
1: Oh, I'm done. I can't make it. And he's losing his fingers. The copycat Jigsaw says, if you're going to point fingers, point them at yourselves. Until you come clean, many men will die. And that's a note left for Zeke, but I think that's why Fitch loses his fingers.
2: It sounds like they could have put any cop in that trap then, at least on this Metro police force. Remove all the fingers because he shot people. You showed him stealing a gun. I thought it's because he would steal stuff from crime scenes. (laughs)
1: Now I'm realizing this copycat Jigsaw isn't playing fair because Jigsaw never played fair.
3: Wait, there are always ways out of Jigsaw's traps. If you did what he asked, you could get out. I started to think this wasn't fair because I don't think this guy could have gotten out of this.
1: Yeah, he had to, what, close his lips? And the more he closed his lips,
2: it would turn those gears to rip his fingers off.
3: And his fingers were being pulled off.
2: Yeah, he would bite down, and it would start to pull him off, and it would hurt, so he'd stop, and then he'd bite
1: down again,
2: and then stop.
1: But his fingers are ripped off, and he still gets electrocuted. And I'm like, wait, the first guy also lost his tongue and got killed. Well, he didn't do it fast enough.
2: Yeah, they were still getting ripped off as that water came up high enough to hit that copper wire and electrocute him.
3: But are these a little different than when Shawnee Smith had to dig through a a half-dead junkie to get a key? Yeah, I'm not, like,
2: getting as grossed out as much, maybe because with those original Saw ones, I was, like, my first real foray into torture porn, and and maybe I'm just desensitized to it now. It it just doesn't bug me as much, but this one, there's gore, like, there's fingers getting ripped off, and and there's things where I could look at it and go, oh, that would awful, like, I, I could imagine what that pain would be like, but if you're a fan of just seeing the ooze and the pus and the flesh rip,
1: I don't know if this one will be as satisfying. I don't think it will, and I don't know if it was the MPA censored some scenes and there will be a uncut version on digital in six weeks. But if you wanted to make my sphincter close up, you could do it with both the tongue and the fingers. (laughs) If you gave me close ups and I got to see the skin tearing and the muscle and the tendons and the sinew and then finally the joints popping off, I would be grossed out. The way this is, it kind of looks like silly putty in a vice. The props were no good.
2: Well, and I did read that Chris Rock, when he got involved, he didn't want it to be a typical Saw movie. He didn't want the focus to be so much on the torture porn. And so, yeah, this this is only our second death. Aren't these movies, again, my vague memory of a Saw film asked me to describe a Saw movie. And it's usually like a group of people that have been abducted and they're stuck in some kind of crazy warehouse and they go room from room and there's a different game and a person dies in each one. That's not the setup here. here we're going to see people abducted and be put into traps, but it's mostly a detective story? Again, the connections with Seven are more apparent than ever because this one is so detective focused with the police work. And it's not so much about the torture.
3: They could have just made a cop movie and I think that that's what they tried to do and then shoehorn saw in there. Because this is like a perfect example of a procedural cop film that we have always gotten. I mean, it's very stereotypical and cliche as far as cop movies go.
1: After this kill, speaking of cop drama we get a scene where shank calls banks on the they just chat and then banks is sitting at a computer screen looking you hear the baby off screen we all knew this was a youtube video of a baby crying right yes yeah i
2: I didn't believe it was real when they wouldn't show it or or maybe clint eastwood came in to direct this scene he never gets real babies (laughs) (laughs)
1: But this gets another box delivered, another video, another spiral. And the flashbacks here are confusing me because I'm like, wait, is Fitch the one who killed the guy in the flashback? I didn't realize that was Pete. I'm I'm trying to keep straight who is who in all of this. Later, much later in the movie, after Fitch is dead, we're going to see a flashback where Fitch lets Zeke get shot. But at this point... I don't quite know what Fitch did to deserve this other than he was a real jerk at the station.
3: I think we're all just supposed to assume that every single one of Zeke's co-workers are dicks. But we
2: are going to meet Pete, uh, who we'll see in a flashback eventually, like, shoot someone. But yeah, he is
1: no longer a cop. He's a AA counselor. He's at a church. I thought he was a priest at first. <laughs> I'm like, okay is Zeke religious? Why is he at this church? We're being introduced to Pete that Zeke is visiting. Pete is trying to say he's sorry. He's 18 months sober. Did the police force cover
2: up this murder? Like, this is cold-blooded murder. This is not manslaughter. This isn't a chokehold that went wrong. He just straight up shoot a guy. Like, why is he out of prison teaching AA classes? Like, he should be a uh, life sentence?
3: Yeah, and it made no sense why he was even going to see Pete because there's no reason to suspect him whatsoever. Does he
1: always visit Pete like the ghost of Christmas past? Like, hey, Pete, remember when you killed that guy? I'm here to remind you that God loves me more than you. (laughs) It was really hard on a first viewing to keep all of this straight. Fortunately, they're going to replay half the movie at the end. So if you missed (laughs) it, it's going to be called out. Hey,
3: but they always do that with Saw movies.
2: Yeah, there's always just someone right off camera that they're going to reveal the the sixth time in the flashback when they show it at the end. That's how Saw works. But it's also around this time that Zeke, he's trying to get together with his dad, work on that relationship, go over the notes of the case, and his dad has disappeared. Just as all these cop murders have started, his dad has disappeared. I, I think they want us to think that Samuel Jackson is the Jigsaw killer if he's not around to have whatever takeout was getting delivered to his house.
3: I thought that, and I thought that some of the stuff, and it's hard to tell because it was dark in the apartment. It
2: looked like she was building stuff.
3: Yeah. But then you see he's the model trains. You're like, okay, so that doesn't even really make sense. I mean, if he was into like gardening or something and you showed like mechanics, I'm like, oh, okay, maybe he is the killer, but he's into model trains. So it didn't have the same effect. So at this point was where I had made a note to myself with what I thought was going to happen in the movie. Zeke will break the rules to find the killer and become a last victim and will also need to save his dad. Oh, you called it. I did. Just when the pizza delivery or whatever they got that he picked up, I'm like, oh, okay. Zeke is definitely going to be the last victim and it's going to be a setup and he's going to save his dad because it reminded me of the Saw movie that the Irish guy was in where Shawnee Smith was the caretaker for Jigsaw and running the show kind of.
2: And it is around this time, too, that I really changed my theory of what was going on, because we're going to see a little can of hobby paint get delivered. I'm like, they're going to tell us they're going to go to that hobby store. It's now to butcher shop. And Shank, Zeke's partner, is hanging there. He's been skinned. And I'm like, oh, okay. so Shank's the killer because they didn't show him get abducted. They didn't show us any torture. Like, all of a sudden, Shank, like a main character in this movie, is dead. Okay, he's the killer. This is a cover up.
1: Yeah, I mean, that cemented it. But they showed us Fitch's death in flashback. Like, they found the body first.
2: We saw him get abducted, though. Like, this was totally
1: out of the blue. This was. And the Charlie tattoo, I'm like, if they don't show us the death. Again, I thought from the first moment he was introduced that he was in on it. I never thought he had the brains to be the mastermind. I just thought he was in on it. Did he, like, buy
2: the hobby store and turn it into a butcher store, like, all in preparation for this? (laughs) How deep does it go?
3: So, wait, he also had to learn how to be a butcher. Man, this guy can do anything.
1: Butcher, real estate, small business owner. But the person he really skinned was that drug dealer, right? Benny? Yes.
2: The pickpocket, yeah. Slash meth addict.
1: Mm Mm-hmm. But then, if you wondered where Marcus is... I'm still wondering
2: where he is. When they show him, how did he get there? He's walking around some real jigsaw-looking warehouse, and I'm again, why is he there? What is he doing? Like, is this another setup to trick us? We'll get flashbacks in the end to explain it, I guess. But yeah, it was out of nowhere. The Samuel L. Jackson, I guess this was day two of shooting. Like, they only had a few more hours to go. They got to hurry up.
1: <laughs> I didn't figure it out. I'll say that, but. Much like if somebody sneezes in a movie, somebody's going to die of an illness or a plague is coming. When Shank asks Zeke, can I borrow your phone? I'm like, yep. (laughs) He's making some calls. He's going to frame Zeke for something. And I guess we're going to see in the flashback what he did was texted Marcus and said, meet me at this warehouse. I've got some leads on Jigsaw. And then block Marcus's number so Marcus can't call back and be like, Zeke, where the hell are you? But this is telling us Marcus isn't him. I mean, I guess that's why it's been so long since we've seen Sam Jackson. As if you thought it was him, here he is getting abducted by the pig. And of course, he's you, Marjorie's right. He's going to be kept alive because we don't see him killed either. <laughs> then Jigsaw seems to be screwing up. He just like slashes a cop with a Freddy Krueger glove. Yeah, I did. I did wonder. Is that a victim that got away? Like he didn't quote that abduction didn't go quite as well. Did they not? have time to film this abduction scene because it would have been really nice to see this cop attacked instead of just having chris rock talk to him about an attack and then chris rock realizes oh crap we've all been lured away from the police station and somebody as you mentioned jacob somebody texts angie as zeke check the cold case files and i i mean at this point we think that shank is dead So who texted Angie from Zeke's phone? Well, maybe he's like the spammers that spoof
3: numbers. You know how it looks like somebody from your local town is calling you it says their name. And it's not really them. It's some guy trying to sell you your extended car warranty.
2: So hacking, another skill he needed to learn. Yep. See? I guess you could get apps that do that pretty easily these days. But he didn't know that when he was 12. He probably took some hacking courses.
3: (laughs) This is where I have a lot of questions when Angie goes down to the cold case file room. Like, how did he get this giant contraption in? Did he pull a Johnny Cash and bring it one piece at a time?
2: My question is, why is it the room in a vault? They're going to need to a, like a, spin that combination lock to open it later.
3: Yeah, that's that doesn't make any sense either why they're storing it
1: there. I guess it's the evidence room. I don't think so. I mean, unless he abducted her in the cold case files and then took her. Yeah, I guess he took her to the evidence room. No, it was
3: the cold case file room and they even had a sign in there that said no one allowed in here no one allowed an evidence room except no non cop personnel or something.
2: I I guess they keep their cold cases and evidence in the same
3: room. Yeah. Well I mean those cold cases are gonna have evidence, Jacob. (laughs)
1: But I agree with you. How is nobody in this room? How is nobody noticing a giant wax machine being brought into the police station? <laughs> how do you set this
2: up? That's how cold these cases are. You're able to like construct whole <laughs> mousetrap devices in there, Ru Goldberg devices in there to kill people. No cases are getting solved.
1: Did Shank work as a beat cop and bring in one piece every day to leave in the evidence locker?
3: That's what I said. He Johnny cashed it. He brought in one piece at a time.
2: One piece at a time
3: and and built that i don't know how i got all the hot wax in unless like in addition to like one piece in the machine here also brought in like five candles or something but are they not checking this room ever i mean couldn't they rewind the tape when we go look at the tape and be like let's rewind it a few weeks and see if we notice anybody bringing anything
1: in that room but he had access to the machine he's able to delete stuff from the tapes
2: 13 mis- minutes missing yeah right.
1: Yes, This is where they're trying to figure out
3: who deleted the 13 minutes, and while Fitch and Boz were killed, they struggled to figure out whose badge number that was, but here they just rattle off everybody's badge numbers like it's common
1: knowledge. Yeah, I love the screen where they're showing everybody who's accessed the tape. We can't see who deleted it, we can see who has accessed it. It's just badge numbers. That does not help me. Show names on a screen!
2: (laughs) Yeah. Well, I guess their badge numbers, their login, that that attracts them. I don't know. It seems like a very bad system.
1: Totally secure. (laughs) That is too much realism. If you're showing me their login ID, I need to know who they are. (laughs) Well, what confused me
2: or or made me wonder is when we get Angie's death scene with that wax falls on her, Zeke's figured out, oh, this cop getting attacked was a diversionary tactic. I got to get back because, yeah, you'll lose your head. They're talking about the head of the police force here. And like he rips that wax off her face. I'm like, that seems like it's doing more damage. It's just ripping the flesh off her skull. But then I guess he's giving her CPR. But at first I'm like, is he making out with her? Like It looks like he's kissing her. And I'm like, were they having an affair? But I
1: guess it's CPR, because that makes more sense. It is half-assed CPR. He, like, breathes into her mouth a couple times and then just pounds her chest. He doesn't compress. He just, like, pounds her chest. It's really weird. But this is this death. All right. Lose your tongue. That would suck. That would really, really suck. Have your fingers ripped off. Oh, Christ. That would hurt. That would suck. Sever your spinal cord.
2: Be a quadrilegic for the rest of your life. Yeah.
1: <laughs> well, But how do you even do that and not kill yourself? I mean. See, this is why they cheated. That has got to be some exacting surgical type shit to hit the right nerves and not kill her. And again, she finally does it and still dies. See, these were rigged.
2: Did she finally do it? I felt like that, once that wax starts hitting your face, you're screwed. It's too late.
1: It kept showing it cutting deeper and deeper. But yeah, that wax had poured on her face. Forgive me for being slightly sexist, but when he said hot wax, I'm expecting like yellow stuff, like she's going to get her eyebrows done. So when the black <laughs> tar looking wax came down, I'm like, what kind of wax is that? And Jacob, you said candle. I guess that could be candle wax. I just thought she- That's what I took. That's what it looked
2: like when Zeke was peeling it off her face. It's like, I don't know. Maybe I just do this where I'll pour hot candle wax on my palm and let it dry and cry. I don't know. It's a weird thing I do when there's candles at the dinner table. Don't put candles at the dinner table when I'm around. I'm going to start a fire.
3: (laughs) I really thought they were setting her up to be waterboarded since she had something like the fabric over her face, the linen and the tube.
2: Yeah, I thought that was weird, too. Was that going to, like, slow down the wax suffocating her so she could sever
1: her spinal column?
3: Yeah, it made no sense other than they wanted to
1: cheap out on the prop. But, all right, now let me say a damning, damning statement. These deaths are boring.
2: That is what I'm wondering for people more like you and Marjorie Arnie, where you, I think you guys get more enjoyment out of this stuff. For me, it's not really my thing, but I'm like, oh, I don't know if people that, whatever Saw fans are out there, I'm sure there are Saw fans that love all the gore. I'm like, are they going to be satisfied with this? Are they trying to change it up too much, trying to go too off formula? Even though this isn't Saw, it's Spiral. Are they spiraling too far out of what Saw fans want?
1: For me, they are, because... I'm not invested in any of these characters. This is what told me, it took this for me to know Angie isn't in charge of everything. I thought she was the lead, but because they're interspersing it with flashbacks, the pacing of this film makes it so that when the deaths come, I barely even perk up. I'm just like, oh, wax on her face. If Again, you could show the bubbling of the skin. You could show us so much more. They put a cloth over her face, I think that's supposed to be symbolic because of how they abduct everybody. They constantly are covering their faces and dehumanizing them. But it just made for a really boring kill. And when Zeke got there and started peeling it back, the first thing I saw, I'm like, oh my God, that's some Freddy Krueger shit under there. But He keeps digging and I'm like, she looks just kind of normal. She doesn't even look lobster red.
3: Yeah, I feel that there's no winning for her though because I don't think that that would have not killed her though. And I think these are also very unoriginal, not as intricate as the Saw devices we've seen in the prior, I guess the early movies. It's not necessarily the gore and everything. It's the original devices were something that was unheard of at the time in horror and the level of difficulty in getting out of them and the intricacy of them. So that's what kind of made the original Saw a fun, good horror movie is because it was different with those devices.
2: Yeah, I would have liked if this is a copycat killer, maybe not have the ingenuity that John Kramer did. Maybe they're a little bit more homemade. I know John Kramer stuff's all homemade. You can't go into Walmart and buy those traps, but you know what I mean? Like a a little bit more rough. These seem too similar to what he would have made in those other films. Like if this is a copycat killer, yeah, show that they have different means about doing things. There's some way they could have made this feel more fresh because it still feels like those other eight Saw movies i scene but I don't think it's going to give you the same thrills if you're a gore hound and and that's why you like those saw fill there's not enough new here they're they're trying to do something new but what they're offering just isn't enough
1: I think they're trying to do something artistic here too with the spiral because when Zeke runs downstairs and then when the other cops run downstairs they're running down spiral staircases and we're getting a top angle and the camera is spiraling as they're running down the stairs I'm like ooh, symbolism of nothing
2: can we just talk about the spiral? Because I mean, that's the name of the movie. That's the iconography we're seeing a lot that, you know, Jigsaw is using that to mark his, kill spots or where clues are hidden and we're told what it's just this is how things improve like we we got bad corrupt police I'm going to fix the police and and things evolve in this spiral shape and and change and and become better or something like I know what was John Kramer's motivation like I remember some healthcare thing like doesn't he go after Kerry always because he denied uh, curing his cancer or something because he didn't have insurance like I remember a lot of healthcare talk in those original ones I don't know if they were all about healthcare
3: it was la it was lack of bedside manner when telling john kramer that he was not going to survive the cancer he had right and then john kramer's wife was pregnant and the junkie pushed the door into her and, and killed their baby is that was he just didn't tell
2: him nice enough that he was gonna die like he was rude when he told him he was gonna die yeah which we find
1: out many many movies later okay
2: yeah, I, I just remember finding out about people getting denied services from their healthcare providers and stuff like that. And they're going for a, a similar like socially conscious message here about corrupt police and are the, the jigsaw killers are they like anti heroes? They're they're going after bad people in secret. Like, is that why they believe the spiral is it, it's a sign of evolution and, and improving things?
1: We're gonna find out that that's what Shank thinks, but I don't know. I feel like. They've gotten more and more where we're supposed to be able to root for the killer here by killing bad people. But initially, those bad people weren't always bad. I mean, remember the guy who just his badness was that he his son died and he didn't take it well. I mean,
3: that was the Irish guy that I thought that this last scene
1: Kramer
2: was tough on some of the victims he picked.
3: Yeah, I mean, that was the one where I thought the guy would... Uh, this is what the ending of this movie reminds me of, is that Irish guy avenging the death of his son and trying to make it right with those people.
1: So the movie starts kind of getting through itself pretty quickly after this. We see Zeke get abducted, and we're I'm like, oh, shit, okay, now he's in a trap. And they make a such a needless callback to that first movie. He's handcuffed to a pipe. There's a jigsaw right there. He can cut his own hand off. They bring in the Hello Zep music. And then, oh, wait, there's a bobby pin. Yeah, Shank put that there,
2: right? Like, to, like, I don't know why else he would have this. I don't think Shank ever intended Zeke to cut off his hand. So he was just hoping he'd see that bobby pin.
3: It's an intricately laid out <laughs> plan that has a lot being based on this, that he will see that.
1: I have to laugh that that goes to the cinematic trope a bobby pin can unlock anything.
2: Oh, I I was going to say, yeah, especially in this modern day, bobby pin ain't unlocking anything. Maybe those
1: kid handcuffs
2: you buy at the grocery store.
1: (laughs) But Pete's back. Yeah, Pete is, is this a recycling center, a bottling center, or a trap that was built to shoot (laughs) glass shards?
2: Yeah, Shank may have built these conveyor belts and grinders from hand. Who knows? Or he bought a recycling plant. Either or. Anything is possible when you're Jigsaw.
3: But I'm trying to figure out what need they would have at the recycling plant to shoot these broken glass out at 80 miles an hour.
1: (laughs) Yeah, that's my thing is at first I thought maybe they were at the brewery where Laverne and Shirley worked. We just see all these bottles on a conveyor belt. And then I see them going in a grinder. I'm like, oh, okay, it's recycling. And then it starts shooting. And I'm like, why would you have the glass shoot all the way across a room like that? Why wouldn't you just dump it? And some of those shards are so
2: big, they didn't come from a glass bottle, like they're they're no different shape, different curve on them, different size. like, yeah, it's just large chunks of glass shooting out.
3: and I guess this is supposed to be his repentance because he was an alcoholic. and these are probably beer bottles or we're supposed to be
2: and this is a what a, a test. I guess to test for Zeke, he to see if he would actually try to help Pete. Like Shank says later, he he was disappointed that he tried to free him because Zeke will find that key in the trash can and try to unlock him, but he's dead by then.
1: It's like the reverse of the Irish guy, like you said, Marjorie. John Kramer was trying to teach the Irish guy to forgive the drunk driver that killed his son, and the Irish guy wouldn't. And here it's don't forgive the person who murdered my dad and. Chris Rock tries to they're like you can watch him die or throw away the key and I'm like in throwing away the key letting him die rot in jail oh no we put a key under a trash can throw away the key hey that's bad
2: yeah it's like the you'll lose your head that refers to the head of the police yeah all these clues are very silly
1: and again he he finds the key but can't save him in time so they get, this jigsaw is not as good because he gives you the
3: clues, but then you don't get to see anything to help you with the clue. So it's kind of cheating because it tells you don't throw away the key and then shows you the garbage can a minute later. You
1: can't yell at the screen at it, if that makes sense. Yeah, it does. But yeah, Pete gets killed and Shank is there. Hi, I'm alive. Can you join me? If not, I'm going to kill your dad or something. What exactly is Shank trying to do here? It's...
2: Yeah, Shank empties a gun except for one bullet, calls the police, hey, there's someone crazy shooting here, shoots all the bullets but one, reveals Marcus like in this weird puppet blood-draining machine, as you called it, I think, Arnie in the summary. And is like you could either shoot me or you could shoot that target, which will save your dad. But you can't like I don't know shoot Shank and then like throw the gun at the target. I, I figure that's gonna let him go too. Like you just gotta. It's like those. It's like those dunk machines, like where you throw the ball at the
1: carnival to put someone in the tank of water. I Shank says I want you to join me. You root out the cops. I'll kill them. But then this final. But the final test is, will you save your dad? I, I My head hurts here, okay? Because I'm going to just talk what I understand, <laughs> and then you guys can help me figure it out. We'll try. We're told that Marcus is the cop who started all the corruption because of that Article 8. Correct. Marcus was the chief of that department, the same exact department, and when Article 8 came in. And so he cleaned up the streets, Giuliani-like, but did so in bad ways. Giuliani-like, as you said. Yes. (laughs) And because Shank saw his father killed by a bad cop, Shank wants to kill bad cops. I understand that. Yeah,
2: makes sense so far.
1: Because Zeke stood up to the bad cop and Zeke saw this little boy hiding and told him stay hidden because the cop would kill the little boy too. Shank thinks Zeke is his inspiration and hero and Zeke should join him. Kind of go with that twisted logic. But then Shank says, I'm going to kill your father, and he deserves it because he was the root of this evil cop stuff. Here's one bullet. You can shoot me or save your dad. Aren't both of those bad options for Shank? Because if Zeke saves his dad, he's saying, I am not willing to go through with killing all bad cops because this is my final test. Will I kill my own dad because he's a bad cop? But then... Either option, no matter what Zeke shoots, is saying, I'm not going with you. I'm going either go to shoot and save my dad so I'm not killing cops, or I'm going to shoot and kill you, which means I'm not going to go with you to kill cops. What exactly is the winning outcome? Arne, your problem is, is
2: you're approaching Shank as a rational player, making decisions based on limited knowledge, and not as he is in this film, a all-knowing god with foreknowledge of all events, of what's going to happen because he's called the cops, he knows the SWAT's going to come in, he's got the puppet machine ready to go for Marcus to fake a gun and get him shot, like, he knows all how this is all going to play out, so, yeah, saving your dad, improving your loyalty is actually going to, Prove your loyalty, but also going to kill your dad because he's bad.
3: I don't think there's any winning this one, Arnie, at all. Yeah.
2: Again, I think the writers of these Saw films, they come up with their ending and they work backwards from there to make it all work. And so that's the problem is Jake is an all-knowing God who knows how everything's going to play out. So he knows this little, hey, either save your dad or shoot me. He's going to benefit in the end when Zeke makes the right decision by trying to save his dad.
1: I'm just going to go with, I'm going to give them the benefit of the doubt and say something didn't get filmed right. (laughs) (laughs) They didn't finish shooting because of COVID. They were going to have some pickups that would help things make sense and never did.
2: It does feel like there's a subplot missing and maybe they didn't have all the scenes shot for it or they needed pickups and they didn't happen so it all got cut out. I, I do think there is something to that theory.
1: I kind of like this end. We've seen the pig puppet in the cop outfit all the time. Zeke saves his dad and then attacks Shank to try to stop him from getting away And because Zeke is distracted with his fist fight, he doesn't notice that those IVs become marionette strings to puppet Marcus, the head pig of evil cops. And there's this really cool spring-loaded pipe on Marcus's arm to make it look like a shotgun. And so when all the cops come in, because those shots that you said Shank fired, he fired them while calling 911 saying, I need help here. And so Every cop in the city has come and they're going to come in, and ju- there's spotlights to backlight Marcus so the cops can't tell he's being puppeted, and they shoot the shit out of Sam Jackson.
2: And then Shank just like goes and goes into an elevator or something, and credits roll. Like, again, very hazy memory of the other Saw movies. Do they all end this abruptly? Yes, they do. They do. Okay.
1: <laughs> and exactly like this, where you see the flashbacks and you get to see things like
2: the Costas Mandalore song really kicks in.
1: Oh. <laughs> Uh Uh-huh. Hello, Zep. Yep. And you see the flashbacks like when Shank said, you're the reason I'm on this force, Zeke, and your father's the one who started all of this. And all these flashbacks that normally they'd make you pay for two tickets to see all this foreshadowing, but in a Saw film, (laughs) they're just going (laughs) to... (laughs) over the head with it. And yeah, he escapes. Chris Rock is on his knees with his hands behind his head so that the cops don't shoot him. But do they think he's the killer? I mean, why would they think he's the killer? There is nothing to make me think they think he's the killer.
2: Yeah, well, Zeke does drop to his knees right away. He knows to show those hands when the cops rush in.
3: Well, keep in mind, the entire department hates Zeke. Because he turned in Pete. And they all had it out for him, as evidenced by them going out on their own and all the Attitude he was getting from the cops when they were doing that all night investigative meaning thing. So I think they're waiting to gun one on him. The,
2: the, yeah, this would have been more meaningful if they went through with that subplot that I thought they kept hinting at that, yeah, they were going to suspect Zeke was the Jigsaw killer, and but that never really played out. Maybe, maybe we'll start Spiral 2 with, yeah, Zeke in jail for being the Jigsaw killer, but those murders are going to just keep on happening.
3: And he has to help some old grizzled cop who doesn't want to talk to him that used to hate him.
2: That's my question. Like now that Jigsaw is like socially conscious, like are the, the Spiral movies, are they all going to be like going against corrupt cops and then we'll get something going against retail managers that don't pay you overtime but make you work off the clock. Like, are we going to get a different
1: <laughs> spin-off for each socially conscious issue out there? This is nothing new. Don't you remember? I think it was part five all about the predatory housing lending.
2: Oh, okay. See, I remember the healthcare stuff, but yes, that sounds familiar too. Yeah, they, they've always done that, but making Shank... His o- whole motivation is to just get rid of corrupt cops. Like, it, it feels like, I don't know, maybe
1: he'll have some awakening and it- he'll find a new cause in the next. But do you even want one? Marjorie, Jacob, do you recommend Spiral from the Book of Saul? Live or die. Make your choice. Marjorie, I'm torn
3: because this was like the first big outing into a movie. Unfortunately, it was this one, but I mean, it was still a theater experience. And so it's like a theater experience after a really long time. And so I kind of feel bad where I'm like, oh, this movie was terrible. And it's not like it sucked, I guess. I've seen worse. But it seemed very lazy in that they could have done better. It was less gory than their Saw films. So if you've got somebody who doesn't like gore, this is minor. And it leaves much more up to your imagination, I think, than the previous ones. It's a rote cop movie. Just substitute Jigsaw for drug dealer, whatever you want, whatever crime you'd like. Chris Rock, if you like a stand-up. This would be perfect for you because it's basically a stand-up routine where he shouts at everybody and shouts a few funny lines. I'm going to give this a weak not recommend, mainly because it doesn't hold to the previous Saw films of the early ones. It's not even a good sequel or I guess that's what you'd call it or spin-off. It's a spiral-off. It's largely not unenjoyable, but just no feeling. It's just a movie. There's not much. You don't have to think too hard. You'll figure out who the killer is when no time. And then the rest of it's just watching it play out poorly. Jacob.
2: Well, first, I, I want to... Recognize that Shank is a much more on-point jigsaw as far as branding goes. The fact that he's sticking to the pig motif, even if there's pig puppets, they're still pigs. He, those boxes are all the same, the same twine. It makes sense. We got a millennial jigsaw this time, and what they were raised on the internet. It's all about branding, looking good for the gram, and all that. So I, I do like the you know how they've evolved or or slightly changed this jigsaw killer. Like it, it feels like someone that might have learned from John Kramer, reading about those stories in the papers. So that, that is interesting. And I think Rock is not great here, but he does have his moments. Yeah, he does have some funny lines. I, I don't remember chuckling too much in other Saw films. I did chuckle a few times during this one. But yeah, this needed another go at the writing table. Like, okay, you want to do something different. You don't want to do your typical Saw movie. It, maybe it's more police focused or, or just more focused outside of the torture warehouse that we're usually spending our time in. Okay, I get That, but I'm actually kind of shocked that when the original writers and everyone saw seven and said, oh, let, let's go with that like extreme gore, torture type stuff that this wasn't the, the actual first Saw film because this feels like, oh, someone saw that movie and let's make it more extreme. And it just, it doesn't quite work. And I don't think it's going to quite work for fans of the series. For me, this is one of the better Saw films, but I'm not a fan of the series. All that gore stuff, it, it kind of washes over me. I I don't get a lot of thrill. So I, I like that we had a more dramatic take. I'll, I'll give the film that compliment. But like we've said, there's a lot of cliches here there's a lot of question marks. The problem is all those pitfalls of a Saw film, this one still falls into. Like, how how does the killer know so much? How can he engineer all, like all those things? Look, I, I'm still getting hung up on them after nine of these films. So if you're still getting hung up on them, they still bother you. This one's not going to help out at all. So it's a better soft entry, but yeah, it's not a recommend.
0: Hello, Devsy. I want to play a game. For many years, you have edited films. But now, you have your biggest challenge. Editing a film without all the footage shot.
1: I feel that is the double-bind movie editor Dev Singh was put in when he was handed what was done with Spiral and, like, tried to make a film out of various pieces and there isn't enough here. This reminds me of periods, like, around Transformers 2 and other times where there are writer strikes... And so directors just have to make up bullshit and try to fix things because they can't ask the writers to do something well. And you just have these long periods of shit movies, and you're like, why have all these movies sucked? Oh, the writers were on strike. (laughs) You had nobody (laughs) writing, and you had studios mandating release dates, and so out comes turd after turd. And I feel like that's what the pandemic has done to anything that was shooting near the time that it hit. I mean, I I will say, watch
2: season four of Fargo, you definitely feel like there is no ending to that season. Like, oh, we just got to end it because we were filming and the pandemic hit. Like, it happened to Chris Rock maybe twice, that one and this one.
1: Yeah, there's always time planned for pickup shots. There's always time planned for a chance to fix a film after the first edit. That's something that's been standard for 20 years now in most films. And this film had a $20 million budget. I think that's double of any Saw film. Most of it had to be going to the cast, but I think surely some was budgeted to do this, and they chose a release date over a cohesive film, and... I can't imagine Chris Rock, who had this idea and really wanted to make a Saw film, saw this final edit and was happy with what it was.
2: No, his face probably looked like the way it looks during most of this film, all scrunched up, (laughs) someone farted.
1: Well, I'm thinking of the scene where he's, like, just staring into the camera after his police chief dies, and he's, like, walking, and you can see the key light shining in his eyes, and it's, like, it almost looks like a trippy scene from a 90s music <laughs> video. And, like, he's just staring at the camera, and this doesn't work. There have been good Saw films and bad Saw films, and the bad Saw films usually just delve into ridiculousness. But I can't recall one that just bored the fuck out of me where I was like, I would rather be doing anything else than be in the theater, even though this is one of my first theater experiences in a year and a half. I mean, I did see Mortal Kombat. Man, can't I see a good movie in theaters? <laughs> the answer is no. This isn't... They're, they're waiting till the, the restrictions are lifted so everyone could go in those theaters. The good ones want people to see them. Well, this isn't one of them. It's a not recommend and... Just please, please, stop sawing away at this. Just, I feel like this was an attempt to kind of Halloween reboot this franchise, you know? The way Halloween 2018 revitalized the Halloween franchise, I thought this was going to be that to saw. And now that I've seen it, I've seen enough. Game over. Not recommend. I mean, do either of you want another Saw? I can't imagine Jacob does. No, I I never wanted to come back to this franchise, even though,
2: here's the irony, like the, the franchise that got me on and now playing is also the one that got me into theaters, but I didn't want it to be this one.
3: Yeah, I kind of feel that there's nothing else anybody can add to this or do to make anything else better from the previous series. I mean, were they campy? Sure. Do they need to keep making them? No. The well is
1: dry. Just stop. That's kind of how I feel too. The more they put them out, the more it just ruins the memory of a franchise that once was beloved and good.
3: And how many copycats can there can be? I mean, is there like a torture device store in this nondescript metro city? There's
2: got to be a whole university to teach you all the skills. Like, this is a grueling bachelor's degree you'd
1: have to get to be a jigsaw killer.
3: They just can't expect like your neighbor to be the one making these
1: torture devices in his basement i mean come on well jacob if this wasn't the movie that you wanted to get you back into theaters did you want to go back for a Zack snyder film i mean no i'm gonna watch that one on netflix <laughs> on also opened in theaters this week was Zack snyder's army of the dead with no relation to Zack snyder's dawn of the dead but it opened in theaters It is also on Netflix. Army of the Dead opened to less than a million compared to Spiral's nine million.
2: (laughs) Well, obviously it was a compromised vision. Release the Snyder Cut of Army of the Dead. We want it.
1: Well, that's what we're releasing next Tuesday. You, I, and Stuart are going to be revisiting Zack Snyder's Zombieverse because to this day, I gave Watchmen a recommend, but the only Zack Snyder film I really like a lot is... Dawn of the Dead, so Zack Snyder, Zombies, I'm kind of ready for it. And in the meantime, this Friday, if you'd like to play a different type of game than Jigsaw's, our David Fincher Thriller series has its second episode. Last Friday, we released Seven, which again, you watch the first Seven and you see exactly where the idea from Saw came from. Seven is a much better Saw film than (laughs) Spiral is. Well, this Friday, we continue looking at Fincher's thrillers with The Game, his Michael Douglas, Sean Penn LARPing movie. <laughs>
2: Yeah, it feels like that. What if Jigsaw became a corporation? You get the game? Not as much murder, but yeah, still all the tricks and and all the moments of catharsis and and understanding what life is really about.
1: Yeah, it is one long game and find out if it's one we'd like to play by becoming a gold level donor at nowplayingpodcast.com forward slash donate. You get to hear all of our reviews that are already out of the Dirty Harry films And then you'll get all of these David Fincher reviews. Plus, since David Fincher did a The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo remake, you'll also get reviews of all of The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo movies. So all those details and the way to support our show and keep us coming out every single week are at nowplayingpodcast.com. And Marjorie, Jacob, thanks for playing the game.
0: Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Now Playing Saw movie retrospective. Congratulations, you are still alive. Please leave a review for us on iTunes or post about us on Facebook, Twitter, or your social media channel of choice. You can find more Now Playing retrospective series at our website, nowplayingpodcast.com. Series include Halloween, Friday the 13th, A Nightmare on Elm Street. Child's Play, Phantasm, and others. This is
1: the most fun I've had without lubricant.
0: The Saw films, all audio clips and music used, are the property of their respective copyright holders and no infringement is intended. Venganza Media Incorporated is not affiliated with the motion picture reviewed or otherwise referred to herein. The trademarks Now Playing and Now Playing Podcast are the exclusive property of Venganza Media Incorporated. The opinions expressed on Now Playing are those of the individual hosts and may not reflect the opinion of Vinganza Media Incorporated. Now Playing is a Vinganza Media production copyright 2021, all rights reserved, and no part of this show may be reproduced, repurposed, or redistributed without the written permission of Vinganza Media Incorporated.
1: And they were looking at bringing back the spear, the spearig, the the Spearig brothers. Who? <laughs> Chief Andy Garce, Not. <laughs> I keep putting not Andy Garcia. Angie Garcia. Like, like, if it's Angie Garza.
0: Garza. <laughs> I just yeah. keep
1: thinking Andy Garcia. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Played by Max Minghella, and you called out. Marjorie, it's been so long since I've done a show with you. I'm about to say Stuart, because I know you're not Arnie, but... but.
1: <laughs> I don't think it will. And I don't know if it was the MPA. I also don't know when they lost that second A. It's no longer the MPA. Oh, really? It's just the MPA now. I didn't know that. They, they represent the world now? <laughs> yeah, they're just... Maybe so. They're just the Motion Picture Association. But...
3: Well, I mean, those cold cases are going to have evidence,
0: Jacob. (laughs) So...